Hello everyone, and welcome to Food Navigator Asia's monthly podcast, the FNA Food and Beverage Trailblazers. This is a series where we speak to and get to know more about groundbreaking food and beverage firms in the Asia-Pacific region, as well as the people behind them and their stories. I am Pearlie, the editor of Food Navigator Asia, and as always, I am your host for this series. Joining me today is Atina Ju, co-founder and COO of Marvelous Foods, a functional plant-based dairy alternative firm in China. Marvelous Foods has just launched China's first plant-based coconut yogurt flagship store on Tmall and is targeting consumers in search of premium dairy alternatives. So, hello, Atina. Welcome, first of all, and thanks so much for joining me on this podcast today. Thank you, Pearlie. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. I guess let's talk a, talk a bit more first about your successful flagship store launch on Tmall. Could you run us a bit through your experience with that in a bit more detail for those of us who are not so familiar with the process? Like, Was it a very challenging procedure overall? Our yogurts are the first coconut-based um, yogurt brand uh, in China. And we've launched already um, on Tmall with a Tmall flagship store. Uh, the procedure of opening the Tmall store is not really that hard. Um, I would say mm-hmm. the there are some administrative barriers. Um, you need to meet certain criteria in terms of the the amount of time your brand has been registered, that kind of thing. But it's mm-hmm. that's just a matter of time. Anybody can get there. Mm. The real question, I think, in the ability of Tmall is whether you have the capability to be ready to learn from what you get from the from the platform, from consumer feedback, and iterate really quickly as you receive feedback. Um, from from the market, and that's really what Tmall is fantastic for as a brand building platform. Rather than in the past, where you kind of uh, have to make an educated but nevertheless blind guess at what will work, and then invest a lot of money and launch mm-hmm. a brand and hold your breath and hope for the best. Um, <laughs> these days, we really have the ability to, using these e-commerce platforms, um, go out there quickly with some hypothesis, test it out, see what happens, you know, use the feedback to to refine um, your product communication, things like that. Coming back a bit to the products themselves, why was coconut selected as your core ingredient for the yogurt? It's a common ingredient here in Southeast Asia for cooking and other purposes, but what about its context in China? Is there any cultural context or is it still a pretty rare and premium product? Mm, good question. Um, actually, uh, maybe this is surprising, but um, coconut is quite common in China and has a pretty long history. Mm. Uh especially maybe in formats that are a little bit different, right? I think cooking-wise, there's less usage of the coconut milk itself, but mm-hmm. coconut as a fruit, like, you know, Hainanese chicken, coconut chicken is very common. Mm-hmm. Um, but the coconut in terms of as a beverage as well, in China, people have traditionally um, consumed more the coconut, what they call coconut milk beverage. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not as as thick as like a coconut milk or cream that you cook with. It's much mm-hmm. lighter. It actually has a lot of added sugars and things like that, which is not great for you. So I would say that, you know, back to the question of why was coconut selected, it was indeed actually selected precisely because the Chinese market have a pretty strong um, foundational history with the ingredient. It's very loved. Um mm-hmm. It, it really has pretty positive um, connotations about refreshing, you know, and relaxing. Um, and so we that was one of the reasons why we feel confident in choosing this ingredient to launch our, our products with. 
what would you say are the main drivers for Chinese consumers today to try your new products, your new items, you know, and come back and continue to make return purchases? Sometimes in China, in fact, to get the first lot of sales is not the hardest because Chinese consumers are actually very adventurous. Mm-hmm. I think they're very open to trying new things. Uh, yeah, they don't seem to be too precious about um, about you know sticking to only the things they know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, as you mentioned, repeat purchase that is really the key. Uh, and the the driver for repeat purchase, it's pretty simple. It's taste, and then there are some other things around service and what have you. But the main, really, the key thing is just taste. For Chinese consumers, what we observe is that they are less willing to sacrifice taste for other quote unquote whatever benefits, be it mm. benefits where you identify. As an, like, let's say, an ethical, you know, moral standpoint um, uh, of animal welfare or of sustainability, or even from a health perspective, if the taste is not good, then they would rather eat less to be healthier or, or you know, be more sustainable than to eat something that doesn't taste good. What are your thoughts on why the plant-based market as a whole is so attractive to consumers in China at present? You know, is it a trendy thing? Is it considered an in thing now, or is it really looking to be a proper lifestyle change as a whole? Mm-hmm. This is a very interesting question too, because I think there are multiple ways to look at the picture, and it might look different from what angle you look from. Mm-hmm. The angle that I actually find really interesting is to see that, in fact, it's not a new thing in China at all. Mm-hmm. Um, China has a very long history of vegetarianism. And in plant-based beverages, in fact, China already is half of the global plant-based beverage consumption mm-hmm. happens in China. So China is what one fifth of the global population. It consumes half of the world's plant-based beverages. Mm-hmm. So this is not new per se, right? Um, it's actually more about a change in premiumization, I would say. So. What we think is the hypothesis here for the market um, is that there is a lot of room now with this whole backdrop of Chinese consumer upgrade mm. um, and the whole backdrop of uh, you know the improvement of their uh, living standards, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You see premiumization across all categories here, uh, and so similarly for plant-based um, drinks, uh, it will be we see an opportunity where. Consumers will be willing to pay more for a plant-based drink that has more benefits functionally, that you know tastes better, that gives them an experience to enjoy. For example, like a yogurt,、mm. or in the future we plan to launch plant-based desserts and ice creams, where you you know you really sit down、uh, and you enjoy this meal or you enjoy this snack.、Um, so. That's what、uh, that's what we see as the opportunity here for where plant based is going. I now like to drive the conversation back to you and your entrepreneurial journey. So I know you were with Heineken in China and quite a number of different roles previously. So what has driven you to make this change from this huge MNC to one role of entrepreneurship? For me, I I really value experiences, having a diversity of experiences,、um, because I think that's where I can get the most learning and growth. And frankly, because I just really enjoy、um, mm. trying new things and learning new things. So for me, it was a matter of like I I, I could see at that point that I, I had worked in bigger companies、um, and started from a strategy corporate strategy role. 
um, for more than 10 years. So I wanted to expand my experiences and, and challenge myself into do, to doing something very different. Um, and entrepreneurship uh, felt like it couldn't be almost more different mm-hmm. than, um, than what I had experienced up until then, where I was first a consultant and then later. In the, in the in Heineken um, so those were the internal reasons externally mainly I chose to do this because my business partner is actually my sister mm-hmm. and she started this project right so it's a very simple motivation I wanted to support mm-hmm. my family I wanted to support my sister very cool very heartwarming motivations and uh, I guess since we're on the topic you know of how you know you started this firm together with with, with your sister Christiana I am curious what is it like working with family in this case? You know, has this affected your working dynamic in any way? <laughs> Many people can, uh, lots of people have siblings, so you mm-hmm. can probably relate. Mm-hmm. I imagine no one will be, most people probably won't be surprised that uh, my answer is, is very different. Uh, working with my sister is incredibly different to working with um, other colleagues in the mm-hmm. past. Um, there is, and, and also my sister and I, we happen to be very close. So mm-hmm. our age gap is only 15 months, mm-hmm. right? So it's not uh, not like a five-year age gap that you might have. And I imagine that would change the dynamic of siblings. But yeah, because we're quite close in age, and so we always played together growing up and everything. Um, so uh, there's a, almost like a shared understanding of things that that don't don't even need to be said out loud, mm. and that that kind of level of connection can help us to move very quickly. Um, and and of course there is a there is this uh, a fundamental trust there. Um, and then, and then, on the other hand, there are no doubt uh, times in which, you know, we may have um, because we were too harsh with each other, because mm-hmm. we're too, you know, close to each other, that may have caused some unnecessary, I guess, like feeling of uh, maybe friction um, that that you wouldn't normally experience in the in, in a col- colleague. Uh, situation um so that exists but i think at the end of the day you know it still comes back to that fundamental trust and that you can't give up on each other what are some of the main differences you have seen between your previous role the one that you had in heineken and this one you know as leading a startup what have the main challenges been that you have seen in summary the real core factor that differs is the amount of resources right Mm. and um, we're not just talking about cash uh, but more in fact more important than cash is access to information and expertise in a big corporate you have this full team of people or or especially if you're a a well-performing and well-known company um, you pick up the phone and and people are willing to talk to you and and give you advice Mm. if you're a startup you know, that's much harder. And yeah, the impact uh, of, of this difference, I would say, is that um, first, it means that I find that we have to be much more iterative in our processes in our decision making, mm-hmm. meaning, you know, just be ready to change, uh, mm-hmm. be ready to adjust as soon as you have new information. In fact, I prefer this more iterative way of decision-making. I I think that sometimes looking back in the corporate world, we tended to overcook the decision-making. And, you know, we we maybe relied a little too much on on data that's often outdated um, or not fully relevant, especially when you're in a market like China that moves so fast, Mm -hmm. even data that you had that's, even data that's four months old can be too old. Mm -hmm. Um, 
think the second thing really is because of the uh, small size of the team and the resourcing, we have to be much more fluid and flexible in the working style. So rather than just having a straightforward, you know, line line management or this is your function and that's it, you know, you get your to-do list done and you're done, you have to actually, you know, keep looking at how can I help my team members or how what is the thing that most needs to be done today. It might not be something on my task list, but actually somebody somebody else's project that we need a support on. Um, so working in a much more kind of uh, project-based, agile way of resourcing rather than just, you know, one person in one role or, or clear, clear function kind of alignment type of thing. Um, talking about, you know, China and how it's a dynamic, fast-moving market, I also wanted to ask, what has it been like uh, being in a main leadership role in China? Uh, because I know you've worked in other countries before, so could you share with us some of the main differences you've seen between working in China and working elsewhere? Ah, another great question. All of your questions I feel like we could write a book about. <laughs> we could, we could. Yeah, so how to summarize this one? <laughs> I mean, I think first it is very different um, mm-hmm. working in China to working in the West. Um, and I, I know that when I first came here, I really had a feeling of, I've been here for close to 10 years now, mm-hmm. uh, I, I had a feeling of like Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. You know, what is up seems down, What is what I thought should be big is small and everything seemed quite different and I must say that at the beginning I felt a bit judgmental you know like how can they do things like this is so so inefficient but then you know one must take a step back and look at the look at the facts and Mm. facts are if you look at what's been achieved here in this economy and in this market Mm -hmm. it bloody works I mean China has grown far faster than any other economy um, and the amount of change and and development here is astronomical so so we must respect the results, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really what kept me here is this, you know, curiosity that, wow, something, so many things seem so counterintuitive at the beginning for me, but but why, why is it that it works? And uh, for me, the, the things that I would summarize about how leadership or how working and teaming is different in China is it really, it comes down to China's context. And the context, number one, it's a very Confucius-driven um, society, mm-hmm. um, which means that uh, it's a society compared to the West that really respects hierarchy mm. and it respects, you know, you are, you know your role and you've got to play your role and and then together we have harmony and everything will move, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, that's part of the fundamental um, beliefs of the society. It's it's actually also very familial. Like you feel more with your colleagues that you're a, really a family uh, where you really care a little bit also and, and uh, about each other's personal challenges too because, you know, they respect that if, you, if your personal challenges are not resolved, then of course it's going to flow into work. Mm-hmm. So there's not such a oh, work-life versus personal-life demarcation, which has its pros and cons. Mm-hmm. But I think overall, if in the society you respect and understand that, it, it's working out for them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so number one is that Confucius uh, influence on the, on the teaming um, structure. I think another one is on their communication style. So 
communication here is more contextual and about building relationships and less just about efficiency. Um, so, you know, for example, I think, you know, I, I come from New Zealand. New Zealand has, and I think now 5 million people, 4 million was the number when I was a kid, <laughs> which is not even not even a neighborhood block in Shanghai, right? Um, and, and so for us, I think in New Zealand's context, efficiency is key. If you're not efficient, nothing's going to get done. We hardly have any people. Whereas here you have all the people and it's more about who should you work with and what's the relationship between people. Mm. So at the beginning, I, I remember feeling like, oh my goodness, you go into a meeting, there's no clear agenda, there's no clear summary at the end, you don't know what is going on, <laughs> it, what would have taken only 30 30 minutes seems to take, you know, over an hour. So it feels very inefficient. But you realize that actually over time, what happens as people actually build that relationship with each other, when the when it's time to do stuff, they just get going and they get it done. And they don't need to overthink it. They don't need to overly structure it or something. They just get things done. So that's why you see that actually in the end, the result is things get done here. Mm-hmm. Um, in a in a in a speed that's far faster um, than we can see in the West sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, but it comes from having established the relationships already with each other. So maybe the beginning feels slow, but towards you know once you get past that initial point, it can go very fast. And I would say, if I put one last point here in the in the differences between China and the West and working is uh, uh, is that the execution style here is more about doing and adjusting so it's a little bit like what i mentioned about the difference between a startup Mm -hmm. and a big corporate company is that rather than planning ahead and thinking through all of the different steps and all the plans because the context here changes so fast it's about just do find out what happens adjust and keep doing it again. Do you have any advice for those out there who are trying to move into entrepreneurship from, you know, bigger firms, you know, make a big switch in life towards a goal like you have? This is how I look at these decisions. I, and I've made a couple of these in my life, right? So I've left my home country of New Zealand. That was a big decision. Mm-hmm. Um, I left uh, a job I used to have at the Boston Consulting Group uh, consulting there, which I was actually very happy doing, but I still decided to change into Heineken. Um, and in China, so that was another change. And then now I've done a third change, mm-hmm. which is out of Heineken and into a startup with my sister. Looking back, I think my summary is to make these jumps. The first step is be super honest with yourself about why you want to change. And really like investigate every discomfort in that decision as well as every high that you feel about the imagined future, right? Like really look at the, write them down. What are these things that you are either running away from or running towards and and be brutally honest. Really understand what it is that's motivating you to, to change. Mm-hmm. And after you have done that really true reflection and evaluation, then, and if the answer out of that is making this change is the right thing to do, then have faith that whatever you do, is going to be the path that is meant for you. And once you step onto that path, you will always find a way to land on your feet. All right. That was really motivational. Thank you so much, Athena. Thank you for joining me today. It was really wonderful chatting with you. 
Thank you. Thank you, Pearly. Thank you. And thank you also, everyone, for listening to this podcast as well. And I wish everyone a great day ahead. For Food Navigator Asia, this is Pearly signing out. Bye.